Well, good morning. Good to see you today. My name is Michael Rigney. My wife over there is Marie. Where'd you get that uh, thing back there? You just saved my wife's life. She was freezing to death over there. And she goes, I'm going to move. And I see that you ladies already know to bring your covers and your blankets here. Uh, so <laughs> and I knew she was cold because we were sitting there in Sunday school, and she'd get closer and closer to me because that's, you know, that's what she does when she gets cold. So good to be here. We had a great time last night. We stayed at was Roy's house, right? That's the right name? Okay. The reason why we were talking about, I mean, that bed. You ever seen that bed in his house? It's yeah. six foot high. And so it took my wife about 10 minutes to get in bed last night. <laughs> we, we tried to, we, you know, I was thinking about getting out of bed and let her stand on me and stand up, but I thought I wouldn't be here today. I'd probably be dead. But we didn't do that. I said, if you don't move in the middle, if I hear you move in the middle of the night, don't get up. I'll turn the lights on. I'll help you get out and back in. And so every time I felt a little, I didn't sleep at all. I was just hoping that she wouldn't move. But we made it through the night, and I'm going to go shopping this afternoon for a, stu a stool to help her get up in there. But uh, we're members of Desert Gateway Baptist Church in uh, Gilbert, Arizona. And uh, somehow we got down here. I'm not sure how. Somebody asked me to come and preach. I've never been here before, but I'm sure glad I got to know you. The only people I know here is Sarah's dad, and, uh, and uh, she's a member of our church up there. And so... I'll get to know him a little better tonight, today, but you know your daughter's kind of nutty. <laughs> we, I'm sorry. I mean, you know, I can't lie. <laughs> I'll tell you, she's a blessing. Her family is a blessing to our church. We thank God for, for them, and uh, we're glad to be here. Now, we, um, we, we're missionaries, and I'll tell you, I'm going to give my testimony tonight about how God brought us to the mission field, but we've been back from the mission field for a few years, and, uh, but we do go back uh, in the uh, fall or whatever time we can get back there. We're going back there for a couple of months and uh, later in the year. My daughter lives there with five grandkids and two great-grandkids, so uh, we want to see them. We want to see the churches that we started, make sure they're going well, and they are. And so we're looking forward to that. <clears throat> so uh, we'll be praying for you folks here. Now that we know who you are and what you are, we'll put you on our prayer list and be praying for you. I'm, I bet you're looking forward to your pastor coming in a couple weeks. Man, that's, that's always fun. I mean, a church without a pastor is like a chicken without a head. You see them running around sometime. <laughs> how, many, how many of you actually have ever seen a chicken run around with no head on it? Really, I have two. It is fun. I, if I had a chicken, I just, I would. No, I wouldn't do that. Just forget that I said that, will you? <laughs> All right, Acts chapter 20, if you turn your Bible. I'm going to preach a message this morning, Secrets of a Great Life. Secrets of a Great Life. You know, we want to live a successful Christian life. I do. I don't know about you, but I want to be success. I want to have a great life, not so much for the world to think I'm great, because I don't think the world thinks I'm very great. But God has an opinion that matters more than anybody else that I could ever even think of. In Acts chapter 20, we're going to be looking at some verses here in a few moments about the Apostle Paul. And by the way, let me say this right now. God cares about what's going on right now. <clears throat> 
God cares about every thought that you're thinking. God cares about every action that you've taken place today. God cares about everything you're going to do this afternoon, everything you're going to do tonight. God's watching you. God cares, and God's concerned about your problems, your, your victories, your successes. God cares, and God is here with us today, and his word is true today as it ever was. You know, William Shakespeare in his 12th night said, Be not afraid of greatness. Some, some are born great. Some achieve greatness, and some have greatness thrust upon them. So how does a person become great? How does a person become great? You know, when you look at the history and biographies of great men, and I love reading biographies. By the way, if you want to read a good biography, get the uh, book entitled To the Golden Shore. By It's a, it's a life story of Adoniram and Judson. You ever, anybody ever read that? It's one of the greatest books I ever read outside of the Bible. Man, it talks about a man named Adoniram Judson and went to Burma, and what a blessing that man's life is. It's challenging, but what makes a person great? And you know, when you look at writers, they have a hard time kind of defining what makes a person great. But when you look at society today, it has a definition of greatness. Most of it has to deal with social issues or social problems, or, you know, or the accumulation of wealth or humanitarian efforts. For instance, the world thinks that uh, Mother Teresa was a great person. The world thinks that Gandhi is a great person. The world thinks the Pope is a great person. But, you know, what makes a person great? My greatest desire in life that it might count for Christ you know, Paul was concerned about that in 1 Corinthians 9, 27. He says, I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest by any means when I preach to others I might be a castaway. So he was concerned that he would have the kind of life that would be a, a great life in the sight of God Almighty. So what are you doing with your life right now? What are you doing with your life? Young people, what are you doing? What are, you know, the whole future is before you. Uh, I remember when I was 13, I really do, believe it or not, and I thought, hey, that man's 30. He is over the hill. <laughs> I, <laughs> I'm thinking 65 is pretty young right now. <laughs> but listen, <clears throat> when you look back over your life, I'm going to tell you, you say, well, I'll never be old. Yeah, you'll be old. If the Lord doesn't come back, time moves on, and it moves all too quickly, doesn't it? You know, and uh, but you know, when you look back over your life in 30 or 40 years, I heard people say that when I was young, and I thought nobody can remember 40 years ago. <laughs> I can remember 50 years ago like it was yesterday. And by the way, I don't think that I've always been perfect, but I look back at my life since I've been saved. This is the 50th year I've been saved, and I have no regrets. Amen. None. Not that I haven't done things wrong, but listen, my life has been exactly where God wants it to be, and so can you. Don't have a life full of regrets. I have talked to so many people that have said, you know, Brother Rigney, when I was young, God called me to do this, and I didn't do it, and I, have, and I regretted it. Uh, listen, you can never, ever regret if you put your life in God's hands. Never. <clears throat> But have you received greatness? You know, my brother, he is, there's only, there was nine in our family. There's only me and my brother left, and he's out in California, and he's a millionaire, and he got all the money in the world, and he doesn't care about God one little bit. You know what he did when he was in his 60s? Twice he tried to climb Mount Everest. What kind of nut does that? <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I mean, really. And you know what? Both times he didn't make it. 
He almost died the second time. One of the fellows I went with him did. I'm telling you, folks, you know, that's, he thought he could just be cool by doing it. You know, that's a $100,000, $200,000 project just to get there, by the way. And I'm proud of him that he's achieved something. And, I, and, I, and I, I sent him a text a while back, and it said something like, you know, I'm proud of you that you've achieved what you have. But what does it profit a man if he gained the whole world and lose his own soul? And it, I'll hear from him next year sometime when he gets over it. But listen, uh, that's the way it is. He has no part of that. I wouldn't trade him five seconds of my life for everything he's got. Man, it's a sad, sad day when you think you're great because you've achieved something secular, something in this world. You look at Acts chapter 20. I think we would say that Paul had, had a great life. Even secular historians tell us that Paul had one of the four greatest minds in all of history. You know, when you read a book of Romans, how can you think that Paul wasn't a brilliant man? Now, we know God gave him that through his spirit, but we also see his personal characteristics coming through him in that book. You know, Paul's greatest goal in life was to be a servant. He was a missionary. He went out and started churches. He preached the gospel. He ordained elders in every church he went to or had someone do that. And, you know, maybe you're, maybe you're here today and you say, well, nobody's ever heard of me. Well, you never heard of me before I got here, did you? You may never forget me once I leave, but listen, I hope that's the case. <laughs> but listen, there are people in this room that the world will never know, but God does. God knows. In God's sight, there are no little people or no little things. The office where you work is a great place if God's in it. The apartment where you live is a great place if you're serving the Lord. So none of us have to go home today thinking we have to travel second class because we're not some great person as far as the world is concerned. You can be great, be in a great place, and not one person in the world ever knows your name. But my friend, God knows and God cares, and one day everything will be brought to light. You know, Charles Reed, in his book, Clusters in the Hearth, says this, Not one day passes over the earth, but that men and women of no note do great deeds, speak great words, and suffer for noble sorrows. Of these obscure heroes, philosophers, and martyrs, the greater part will, be, will never be known, and that hour, until... Uh, that hour when they that are great shall be small and the small great. One day God's going to turn everything upside down. And one day God's going to put the real test to our lives. And you know what? We're going to be great in God's sight if we have a life that is great. You can be a great father, a great mother, a great son, a great daughter, a great retired person. Uh, you don't have to be an apostle Paul to be great. <clears throat> if Paul hadn't been an apostle, he'd been great whatever he chose to do. We might not know about him today, or we might not be preaching about him today, but listen, it's, you know, he would have been great in the sight of the Lord. And listen, you ought to never care about only what the Lord thinks about you. And if you are right with God, you're going to be right with everybody else. You know that? Right. So <clears throat> the secret of Paul's life was commitment. You know, that's a dirty word today, commitment. My wife and I were been married, um, what, 54 years. We made a commitment. We had some pretty rough times, but, you know, we have a philosophy. We have a saying, murder, maybe, divorce, never. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> but we've been close. <laughs> but listen, you know, there's no commitment in this world today. 
Everybody does that which is right in their own eyes, and nobody makes a commitment. Marriages are failing all over this world today, and Christian divorce is just as high as secular divorce. Can you imagine what the divorce rate would be if nobody lived together and everybody got married? Can you imagine? It would be, it'd be 75%. What a world we live in with no commitment whatsoever. <clears throat> but the secret of Paul's life was commitment. All of us are committed to something or somebody here today. A great life is one that keeps going when things get tough. Anybody here ever had tough things in their life, problems in their life? Well, you know what? Join the crowd. One that starts over when mistakes are made. Do you ever make a mistake? Do you ever have to start over? Do you ever have to confess your sin? Then you have to go to somebody else and get it right. And you know what? What a joy it is to know that your sins can be forgiven and you can start over again. One that finishes the course that God has established for your life. Paul said, I have finished the course. And I'll tell you, that's something we ought to do. When I look back on my life, I know where the course I was on. I want to finish just like I started. You know, over the years, I've seen so many of my friends that they've gotten older just sort of fall away from the truths of God's word. Brother Ed and I went to school together. He was a little bit after me. He's much older than I am. He started before me but you know when I when I graduated from college I learned a lot of stuff but I didn't when I when I graduated from college I haven't changed one thing I believe since then I believe that God gave us the Bible and I believe in the King James Bible for all kinds of reasons I believe that souls need to be saved and that we need to be soul winners I believe the local church is God's program for this dispensation. If you're not a member of a church, I don't believe you're right with God. If you're not a member of this church, join it or one like it. I believe God's program. And by the way, when God says forsake not the assembly of yourselves together, that's a command. And joining a church is God's program. And if you're not in that program, you're not part of God's program. So get in it. Start over. Get in this church. It seems like a pretty good church that I've known it for about two hours now. They wouldn't set me here, though, if it wasn't. I can tell you that. They know better. <laughs> you know, I've been in churches where I wish I could have. I did have to leave a few churches when I was on deputation. I get, now, by the way, I asked the churches to come, so when I got there, whatever I was at, it was my fault. <laughs> but I got in churches I left as quick as I could because they weren't right with God, and I wasn't going to be a part of their ministry no matter what. But a great life, Paul said in verse 24 of Acts chapter 20, he said, none of these things move me. Now, if you know the Apostle Paul's life, you know the troubles he went through, right? He went through a lot of things. And he says, none of these things move me. Why? Because the next phrase there, because I count not my life dear unto myself. You know, folks, your life is not yours. You are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. God redeemed you, he bought you, and you belong to God. You know, a great life is one that makes other people great. When Abraham Lincoln died, it was said that everybody around him seemed to shrink. Paul was like that. He touched the lives of others. He made life worth living for them. When's the last time you made life worth living for someone? You know, that is the greatest privilege that we have as Christians to make life better 
greater because we give them the gospel. Over the years, we've seen hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people saved, and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people saved from the people we led to Christ, so thousands, churches started. Greatest joy in the world to see somebody turn from sin and give their life to Christ and start making it mean something. I mean, that's a great joy. I thank God that, it, that as in the ministry, we, we have that privilege, not just in the ministry, but every day. You folks have a privilege. If you've never led somebody to Christ and you've never had that privilege of making their life better, that's a shame. You know, when a great life is over, uh, it, 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 people are missed. You know, I, I don't know Ron Hamilton very well. I met him a couple of times, but I'll tell you, I miss him already. <laughs> His music has touched the lives of people all over this world. I don't know about Pat's a Pirate. That wasn't my thing. But I, my kids grew up with that. I remember when we were on deputation, they were singing, pigs don't live in houses. <laughs> they hate me this day because of that. But listen, we, you know, when a great life is over, it's missed. It is missed. <clears throat> So Paul had a threefold commitment which pointed the way to greatness in his life. First of all, Paul was committed to a great person. Look at chapter 20 in verse 19. In verse 19 it says, serving the Lord. Who was Paul serving? He was serving the Lord. You know, Romans 6 speaks of those who are serving sin. And by the way, sin is an awful taskmaster. What is it? Someone said sin will take you farther than you want to go, cost you more than you want to pay, and keep you longer than you want to stay. You know, when you start out that way, it seems like, well, it'll be okay. But you know what? Sin is a terrible taskmaster. Many people are serving various lusts, and how terrible that is. But Paul says in verse 19, he was serving the Lord. Now, that wasn't always true, was it? We know that the Apostle Paul was an unsaved Jewish Pharisee. He thought he served God, but he was really serving himself. He says in Galatians 1.14, he profited in the Jews' religion. Uh, but none of these things moved me, he said. When he met Jesus Christ, his life was changed. Any man be in Christ is a new creature. All things are passed away. All things have become new. Listen, if you're saved today, your life ought to be different. You ought to listen to different music. You ought to dress differently. You ought to act differently. Your mouth ought to be different. Everything about you ought to be different. Everything about you ought to be a reflection of Jesus Christ, our Savior. When people look at you as he was, so are we in the world, the Bible says. People ought to see Christ in you. But we see that when he met Christ, his life was changed, his course was changed, his ministry was changed. I remember going to college in 1975, I started, and uh, when I went there, I had all these things I was going to do. I was going to be a pastor, I was going to do this, so when I got saved, I said, Lord, here's what I'm going to do for you. <laughs> Lucky you. <laughs> But listen, when I got into school, I was miserable. I'm listening to these preachers. We had preaching every day of the week. You know, I remember, that, and I graduated from college, and I still wanted to do what I wanted to do. Then I got into graduate school, and I remember one day I stopped fighting. I said, Lord, I'm tired of this fighting. If you want me to go to the mission field, I'm going. If that's what you want, fine. So he said, I thought he would say, don't worry about it. You can do what you want. I, I thought he'd say that. <laughs> But you know what? He said, okay, I'm going to take you. And I'll, I'll guarantee you, if you saw my life, what God did to change it and put me where he did, I know God can use anybody. 
anybody that's willing to be used of God. And so your life is God's gift to you and your ministry is your gift to God. Have you ever said, Lord, take my... Now, we sang these songs today and I wonder if we really mean those songs that we're singing. Uh, I'll tell you what, sometimes we really don't. Now, when Paul walked down that Damascus road, he thought Jesus was dead. Remember the first word he said when he got saved was, who knows, who can remember? Lord, here's what I'm going to do for you. Didn't say that, did he? What did he say? He said, Lord... What will you have me to do? There's a whole lot of difference, isn't there, between what you want to do and what God wants you to do. And I finally got to the place where I said, Lord, what will you have me to do? And God did some of the most wonderful things in all the world. And I'll tell you about some of those things tonight. But he thought Jesus was dead. He met the Lord face to face. He said, Lord, what would thou have me to do? And then just a few verses later, Jesus said, I'm going to show him how great things he's going to suffer for my name's sake. And he didn't back around and say, well, <laughs> let me think about this a while. We never know. So at this point in Paul's life in Acts chapter 9, he committed himself to a great person. <laughs> have you experienced the grace of God in your life? You know, Saul was a religious man, but he wasn't saved. I went to, I went to a Catholic school for eight years. I was an altar boy. And, uh, and, you know, I went to all these schools. I never saw a Bible, not one time until I was 26 years old. Not one time did I ever even see a Bible. And so when I got saved, I started reading the book of Pesalem's. You know that book, don't you? <laughs> I, I, I remember going in where, to work one day, and the guy was a crazy. I said, man, that book of Pesalem's is, he said, what are you talking about? <laughs> I said, it's right there by the book of, right there by the book of Job. <laughs> man, it was fun to learn the Bible, because I was really dumb, as far as the Bible goes. Now, none of you were like that, right? Well... You know, he was a religious man, but he wasn't a saved man. He was a, 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 a zealous man, wasn't he? But he wasn't a saved man. He was a moral man, but he wasn't a saved man. He was a self-righteous man, but he wasn't a saved man. He was religious, but he said when he found Christ, he put all of that religiosity and he put it in the garbage can that I might win Christ, he said. Because none of that secular uh, work stuff means anything because I'm saved by grace through faith. Jesus Christ deserves everything I can. He was serving the Lord, not his reputation, not himself. He was serving the Lord. Have you ever heard of a man named William Borden? He was born in a prominent and wealthy Chicago family, the third child of William, uh, William Borden. Now, it's not the same Bordens that had the, uh, the condensed milk uh, company, but it was a silver company that his father uh, had, uh, had started. But after his mother converted to evangel uh, evangelistic Christianity in 1894, uh, she took Borden to Chicago Avenue Church, Avenue Church, later Moody Church, where he responded to the gospel preaching of R.A. Torrey. And from that time, prayer and Bible study became the uh, hallmark of his life. After he graduated from the Hill School, uh, Potterstown, Pennsylvania, at the age of 16, his parents gave him a chaperone trip around the world, during which time uh, he became uh, infatuated with foreign missions. And so in London, uh, once again under the preaching of uh, a Tory who was holding meetings there, Borden surrendered his life for the Christian service. 
After graduating from Yale in 1909, Borden attended Princeton Theological Seminary. By the way, those, those uh, Ivy League schools used to be preacher centers, but boy, they've turned away. By the way, they do have cornhole places. They have competition. Did you know that? Boy, that's really, <laughs> so, if you want to go to school and learn how to do that, you can go to Princeton. But anyway, he went to Princeton there, and uh, his, um, uh, so he had, a, he had a desire to serve the Lord. Uh, Borden's intention would become a missionary to the Muslim country in northwest China, and so he decided first to study uh, Islam in, the, in, uh, in Cairo. He boarded with a Syrian family so he could hear what the Arabic language sounded like as much as possible. He also spent time distributing uh, tracts and, and uh, messages uh, on the street. But in 1913, he contracted cel uh, cerebral meningitis and died within a few weeks. He was, he was 25 years old. And, you know, ironically, his mother had just arrived from America to vacation with uh, him in the mountains of Lebanon. But she was there, and she attended his simple funeral. Uh, Borden is buried in American Cemetery in, uh, in uh, Cairo. On his grave were, with, were these words put with the instructions of Charles Esman. He says, apart from faith in Christ, there is no explanation of such a life. And, you know, when he, uh, after, um, after he renounced uh, his fortune in favor of missionaries, he put this in his Bible, no reserves. After his father told him that he would never be allowed to work for him again, he put no retreat. Shortly before his death in Egypt, he put no regrets. How does a man die like that at 25 years of age and it's okay with him? Well... Serving the Lord, you never know. But that wasn't a wasted life. It wasn't a wasted life. Now, there are a lot of people that die young. But listen, just because you live a long time doesn't mean you're serving God. Just because you die young doesn't mean you wasted your life. Serving the Lord, you never, ever, ever waste one moment of your life. Not one moment. So he was serving the Lord. Notice in verse 19 of chapter 20. In chapter 20, in verse 19. <clears throat> he was serving the Lord with all humility of, of mind and with many tears. When he served the Lord, he shed tears because he had a concern. And temptations which befell me by the lying in wait of the Jews, and how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, and uh, showed you publicly and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greek, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. He served the Lord with tears, toil, and testifying. He was a, he was a godly man. So Paul was committed to a great person. Are you committed to a great person? Are you committed to Jesus Christ? If Jesus told you to pack up and go to school and learn how to be a missionary, would you do it? I was 37 years old when I ended up on the mission field for the first time. Uh, you know, God had to send me to a, to a country that, ha that had English because he knew I was too dumb to learn a language. 
God will do that. I mean, when we first got to Australia, my wife's sitting there talking to this lady on the couch, and she was an Australian lady, and after about 10 minutes, I looked over there, and I said, look, my wife doesn't understand one word you're saying. He goes, what? And Marie goes, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> it was the accent. So we had enough trouble with the English accent. But listen, God will put you where he knows you can do the best. And if God would have put us in a foreign language place, I don't think he would have done that. <laughs> but if he did, uh, we were all for it. So are you committed to a great person? Secondly, he was committed to a great purpose. The great purpose was building the church. You know, he started churches, not organizations or social club or hospitals or aviation clubs or publishing companies or music industries. He started churches. He believed in the church. I believe in the church. In Acts 20, Paul's saying something like this. I've committed myself to God's program and to his purpose. You know, man becomes great when he involves himself something greater than himself. And this church is greater than you folks. You better be careful how you treat your pastor and how you treat this church. You better be careful. I believe in my heart the number one thing that Christians will answer for at the judgment seat of Christ is that a lack of respect for the pastor and the church. I do believe that. Be careful how you treat this church. Man becomes great when he involves himself something bigger than himself. In God's program, this church is bigger than any one of us. This is God's church. This is the house of the living God. The house of the living God. That means if you're going to be in God's house, you're going to have to be saved. You're going to have to listen to God. God runs this, not you, not even the pastor. It's the under-shepherd. God runs this church through his word. Amen. When we share in the lives of other people, our lives take on another aspect of greatness. You know, far too many people have invested their lives in things that are weak and beggarly and fading away. But Paul committed himself to God's purpose, building the church. The church was important to Paul. He committed himself to building the church. What do you commit? You know, we commit ourselves to a lot of things. Building toys that will rust away someday. I'll tell you, before I got saved, my passion was classic cars. I had five GTOs in the 60s. And I wrecked every one of them. <laughs> I mean, I was racing all the time. That was my, I mean, I'd buy new cars and take them home and say, hey, Marie, you like this? And after I healed from my wounds, <laughs> I mean, I had a whole, <laughs> I mean, that's what people do. People have all kinds of things of investing things in. And he started church. He believed in the local church. In, in, in Acts chapter 20, Paul is saying something like this. This is God's church. And he invested himself in building the church. Uh, and so um, Paul was concerned about the church. So the church was important to Paul. Uh, William Carey, you heard of William Carey? He was the father of modern missions in, uh, in, in 1792. He preached a message, expect great things from God. Uh, help me out here, I'm old. Uh, attempt great, thank you, attempt great things for God. You know, William Carey was a Baptist. He went to, he went to uh, the Far East. And by the way, when Adoniram Judson left America in 1812, he was a Congregationalist. 
So on the way over, he knew he was going to have to face William Carey. And so he said, we better study the Bible and get this thing of baptism right, because we're going to have to answer this guy. He's going to ask us why we're not baptizing people. And he got over on the way over. You know what he did? He read the Bible, and he became a Baptist. <laughs> you know, if you read the Bible, you're going to be a Baptist. I'll tell you. And so anyway, that's just one story. But when he got to Burma, he had some, he had, uh, he wanted to, uh, he had three goals in mind. First, he wanted to win as many people as he could. He wanted to translate the New Testament into the Burmese language, and he wanted to start at least seven churches. After 37 years, he won thousands to Christ, translated the whole Bible, and started over 60 churches. And you know, his testimony still lives on today. When we first started our church in Australia, I was looking out the window one day, and here's a couple of these uh, young Asian girls, about 10 years old, walked by there. And I ran out the door, and I stopped them, and I said, hey, uh, uh, you go to church anywhere? And they said, no. I said, well, you want to come to Sunday school? Yeah, can we come to Sunday school? And I found out later they, they were from Burma. And I found out that their mother was saved by someone who knew someone who knew someone who knew someone who knew Adniron Judson. And so, I mean, they were, and by the way, to this day, they're married and got kids. They're still in churches in Australia serving God. But listen, his testimony still lives on. When you go off to be with the Lord, are you going to leave something behind? I'll tell you what, we serve the Lord. I mean, they, and so William, Car- I mean, Adam and I Judson, after 37 years, he had all these things. And Paul said, this one thing I do. This one, everything he did in his life was based around one thing. All that Paul did was to bring glory to God and fulfill his purpose in building the church. A local church was important to Paul. And you know what? It was also important to God. Look at verses uh, 28 of chapter 20. <clears throat> Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers to feed the church of God. So he's talking to pastors in Ephesus, and he said, Be careful how you treat and feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. Don't you think this church is important to God? You're here today because of the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's talking about the local church here. He's not, I don't believe in a universal church anyway, but he's talking here to the church. We're here today because of the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. This church is important to God. Make sure you understand that when you realize that you need to treat it. But you know what? The, the church was also important to Satan in verse 29. For I know this, that after my departure shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. See, the, the devil wants to destroy this church. And he can't do it from the outside. He'll, he can do it by people that are in here. That's when churches get destroyed. By people inside the church. Well, over the years, I've had to deal with some pretty rough things going on. We've had the discipline members. That's not fun. We've had to say no to this and no to that. But listen, if we're going to live for God, we have to realize that the devil is out to destroy your life. He doesn't have any, he doesn't care for you. He doesn't love you. And you think he wants you to go out and have fun in that world. He just wants you to get out there and see how big a mess he can make out of your life. But you know what? The church ought to be important to you as well. 
I've seen so many tragedies over the years. I remember a young girl in our church got saved, and she was about 16 years old, and and uh, she uh, she was on fire for God for many years. Then all of a sudden, she didn't come to church anymore. Couldn't find her. She went off to England. We were in uh, Australia at the time. She went off to England, ran away with a man. Hadn't seen her. She was gone. About three or four years later, she just showed up at a Sunday service on Sunday night service. And I said, come over to my house. I want to talk to you. And she came over to my house after the service. I said, you know, Sonia, you have been saved by your own testimony, but you've gone away from the Lord, and I want you to make a decision. And she looked at me, and she didn't say anything. I said, you have two decisions to make, right? You can serve the Lord, or you can turn away from. Well, you know what? She turned, she turned away, never saw her again. One night, I, I mean, I looked for her, but I couldn't find her. One night on television, I saw her face take up the whole television. And she had been, she had, she was in a mental institution. She had jumped out the third story window and killed herself. Uh, that to me, I still have that picture in my mind. And listen, I don't know that all that went on there, but I do know this. You don't know where you're going to end up when you walk away from the Lord. You don't know. You say, well, I would never do that. You don't know what you would ever do. Why would you ever want to try that? Stay where you're at. Stay safe. Stay with the Lord. And then he was committed to a great, not only a great person and a great uh, uh, purpose, but also a great principle. Look at verses 33. I have covered no man's silver or gold or apparel. Yea, ye yourself know that these bonds or these hands have ministered unto my necessities and to them that were with me. I have showed you all things, how that so laboring you ought to support the weak and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how it said, how he said, it is more blessed to give than receive. You know, more blessed to give than receive. And by the way, you won't find the Lord ever saying this in the Bible. This is the only place where it said that he said it, but we can't find somewhere where he said it. He said, blessed are they that mourn, blessed are they that weep, blessed are the meek, but it's more blessed. Do you know the principle of giving is 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 amazing thing in the Bible, isn't it? Uh, I was talking to a man just last week, and he goes, I hate churches. I said, why? He said, because all they want is money. <laughs> I said, do you go to the grocery store? I said, every time I go there, I can't get out of there. Those people, all they want is money over there. I'm sick of those guys. I'm never going back again. Oh, well, yeah. I said, you know, the Bible talks about money. I said, you know that? He goes, no, I don't know that. But you know what? It's more blessed to give than receive. People come to church, and they don't get anything out of it. They come to the attitude of, I just dare you to bless me. I just dare you to bless me. By the way, if you're happy today, you ought to let your face know it once in a while. <laughs> I, I mean, I wish I could take a picture. Not, I mean, I know we get serious. I get serious. I'm not sitting there laughing. I'm asking God to speak to my heart. I understand that. But um, we need to come to the place where we don't come to church necessarily just to get, but to give, be a blessing to somebody. I always pray every, t- every day. I said, Lord, help me. As we're, We have a prayer meeting before church, uh, 30 minutes before the church, for our men's prayer meeting. My wife runs a women's prayer meeting. And uh, my prayer is always, Lord, help me to be a blessing to someone today. Help me to be a blessing. And when I'm out shopping, doing things in a dollar store, I'm looking at the things I can buy for somebody else. That's fun. Do you ever do that? That is a lot. Of, I know these three kids. I bought. I went to Grasso and I got three of these little tie dob little rabbits, 
And I said, I know just who will, I know just the kids in the church that will appreciate that. Just do, look for things to do for other people. Um, we don't have any stewardship problems. We have heart problems. You know, I've always been embarrassed about the generosity of God's children over the years, or God's people over the years. You know, I, um, last year I was in a mission conference in New Zealand, and the pastor wanted me to preach the mission conference. I started the church in 1996. Don't worry, I'll close in a few minutes. Don't panic, it's after 12. <laughs> Just thought I'd tell you. I know that. <laughs> I told the brother, put the, you know, put it. I said, I've been in a church with clocks in the front. Now, what in the world is that about? Anyway. So, so it's only one minute after 12. I'll be done shortly. Oh, I could tell you stories about that. I, got, I was in one, one church, and, it passed, and, the, and I, anyway, I remember that one of the deacons got up in the back. He took his watch off, and he shook it, and he's, <laughs> he's like, <laughs> I got to write a book. I have got to write a book. <laughs> so I, uh, we went at the mission conference last November. And I said, Pastor, do you have faith promise here? And, and he said, no. I said, you need to start. He said, I don't think so. I don't think I'm going to do that. I said, and I talked him into it. And so he did. He wasn't totally against it, but he didn't think it would work. And uh, so I said, let's just pray. And I said, I'll preach and I'll talk on faith promise and we'll see how it goes. And I got a letter from the other day and he said, I'd like you to come back and preach this November mission conference again. He said, since then, our mission giving has gotten so much, we can't even give, we don't have enough missionaries to give it to. Never heard about that before. <laughs> he says, our attendance has gone up 25% and our regular giving has gone up out of sight. Folks, listen, giving works. Amen. Giving works. Finances are part of God's program. Unsaved people live by the principle of getting. We need to live by the principle of giving. And we'll never know the influence we have in people's lives when we give ourselves. And we'll never know until we get to heaven. You know, I was saved in 1973. And so I started deputation to go to New Zealand in 1981. I was out in deputation. I was getting ready to leave. We were living in Watertown, Wisconsin. I'm getting ready to leave. And I got a phone call from a, a woman named Janet. And she told me who she was, and I knew who she was. I remember before I was saved, she was one of my friends, a wife. And uh, she said this. She goes, you know, we've got several of us sitting around the table here, and we're talking about how to get to heaven, and nobody knows. And we heard you got religious. Can you tell me how to get to heaven? I said, well, I don't know, maybe. <laughs> I mean, what a blessing. The only reason she said that, because she knew my life was so different that she wanted, and by the way, I led her to Christ on the phone. And then I had a meeting set up six months ahead of time, and I was headed for a town that two days later. And would you believe it's in the same town she lived in? So I went to her house and made sure, and Man, I'm telling you, and listen, I, I went back. I could never find her again. I looked and looked. Every time I went to that town, I, I could not find her. Last year, I just happened to be on the Internet. I, tried, I typed her name in to see if I could find her, and here was her obituary. She had died at 54 years old. Now, she's in heaven because of, because of a life. Man, what a blessing. I, I will never forget that. I will never take that for granted. Because my life was different, she is in heaven right now. And when I got saved, I mean, I was a mess. 
and I don't even tell my wife how big a mess I was. <laughs> but listen, when I got saved in a place I worked and there was only one other Christian, I had changed so much. Two people walked up to me and said, listen, what happened to you? Are you nuts? What's going on? Whatever you got, I want it. And two people got saved just by looking at the change in my life. What a blessing. Folks, people ought to look at your life. They ought to see a dip. You young people ought to be different. Young people today are in a mess. You know, the Lord gives us so we can give. He was committed to a great principle. You know, I read verse 24 a lot, but none of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself, that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. What are you committed to today? Is your life important to God? You know, D.L. Moody, when he died, wanted this on his tombstone. He has done what he could. That's what he wanted. <laughs> but he put this, this is what got put on his tombstone. The world passes away in the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. You want to be great? Then commit yourself to a great person. You want to be great? Commit yourself to a great purpose, building the church. You want to be great? Commit yourself to a great principle. Give. Give, and it shall be given Pressed down, shaken down, you cannot outgive God. I trust today that God will work in some heart, that maybe your life is just sort of twittering around, you have no goal, you have no desire, you don't know if your life's great or not, but God's given you the opportunity to be great in his sight. And I trust you'll take advantage of that today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace and for your mercy. We thank you, Lord, that you were a great individual that you gave us of your son. You've given us a great life. And God, help us to be committed to you, your church, and your principle of giving. It may be that you're here today. I don't know very many of you here, but certainly if you're ever going to have a life that's great, you're going to have to be saved first. Let me ask you this. If you were to die this very moment, are you absolutely sure you'd go to heaven? Are you sure you can say, I know whom I have believed, and I know for sure. If that's your testimony, can I see your hand? I know I'm on my way to heaven. I know I'm going to heaven when I die. Thank you. Maybe you're here and you say, I'm not sure. You know, I, I went to religious schools and churches for 26 years of my life, and I didn't know. Maybe you're here and you say, I just don't know. Brother Rigney, would you pray for me? I know I need to be saved. I need to be sure that I'm saved. And if that's your testimony, I won't call your name or embarrass you. I just want to pray for you. Anyone here like that? I'm not sure that I'm saved. All right, Christian, let me ask you this. And by your own testimony, all of you here are saved. Are you living for God? Is there something that's missing in your life? And you would say, Brother Rigney, please pray for me. I know that God could use me in great ways, but I'm just sort of holding back. I'm not doing what he wants me to do. And I want today to give him everything that I can for his glory. And God spoke into your heart. You say, please pray for me. Uh, if that's your testimony, can I just see your hands? All right, God bless you. Thank you. God bless you. God bless you. Let's all stand together. And as the music is played over here, do we have, I've decided to follow Jesus. We have somebody, where have you? Play that. And if God spoke in your heart, and I mean, here's the altar, I assume that you know this, and if God spoke in your heart, you know, sometimes it's just good to let God do what he wants to do and let 
so if God's spoken to your heart, we'll take this few moments that you come and decide uh, what you're going to do with your heart and life. Just... thank you for your word. Thank you for these dear folks here. I pray you'd bless this church, be with the pastor as he comes in a couple of weeks, and make this one of the churches that are fully sold out to thee, because your people here are fully committed to the work. And I pray you would bless and protect and watch over each and every decision that was made today, that you'd use this church for your glory. Give them a good day, and we'll look forward to be back this evening. For Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.